sometimes you ever have one of those days when you wake up and you have a gigantic pimple on your face? Someone just said yes. A lot of, a lot of amening to gigantic pimple day. Sometimes it's on your nose. Sometimes it's on your forehead, you know. And you have a, you have a decision to make when you wake up and you have a, you have a, a blemish that you didn't expect. You could not leave the house. Someone just said, don't leave the house. You have, you have the decision, like, do I, do I not go out? Do I just not interact with the world today? Do I try to cover it up somehow and pretend like it's not there? Do I embrace it? And I'm like, I'm the person that doesn't care. That's my persona. And I just endure the awkward looks of sadness from those around me. And um, <laughs> sometimes... Uh, this is, I just realized now how odd of a transition this is, but sometimes following Jesus is like that. Um, especially like if you, if you have come to faith in Jesus, but you didn't grow up in like a Christian kind of background, which is a lot of us. And you're just like, what, what do I do? Like, how do I go out into the world? Do I like just not interact? Do I try and cover it up, act like it's not there? Do I just embrace it and people will look at me, look at me funny? What should my posture be going out into the world, right? And so at the end of the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul, who wrote this, really dives into that to answer this question. If you follow Jesus, um, what should your posture, what should your face be like to the world? How do you live in the world? What do you want to present to the world? And... I think it's a very beautiful picture. And no matter where you're coming from tonight, what, what, no matter what your week's been like, no matter what kind of religious or non-religious background you come from, I think this is a beautiful life. And so um, it's worthy of our attention. So we're in Romans 12. I'm going to start reading verse 14. I encourage you to read the whole chapter later if you get a chance. But I just want to jump in here, verse 14. Uh, this is the word of the living God. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, since uh, we believe this is God's word, I'm going to ask his blessing on it. After I move this mic back. Father, um, we're grateful that tonight, wherever we come from, um, wherever we may be sort of emotionally or mentally or spiritually, that you know each of us. And you don't just know us, but you know us intimately and perfectly. And that, Lord, you're able to speak to us. And, Lord, we want to live a life that is beautiful and free, a life that is consistent. Um, Lord, we all long for that. And Lord, thank you for this picture of a beautiful life that you show us here. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear um, the voice of the Lord Jesus, and that through him we might find access to this beautiful life. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, I know that's something that's true. One of the things I really appreciate about Appalachian 
is that um, y'all come here at least partly because you want to have a, a really positive impact on the world. You want to be world changers. Um, and each of us, as we come here tonight, I don't think any of us comes here and goes, like, I want to be an inconsistent person. I want to say I believe one thing and then act you know, differently than that. We all want to be authentic. We want to have a life that is authentic where the people around us would say, I really know what they believe and what they love because of how they live. Uh, you want to live true to what really matters to you. And, and I think that we're really attracted uh, to that when we see people doing it. I, mean, I, I think about you know, Chance the Rapper you know, donating a million dollars to Chicago public school system. And you're like, that guy believes that education is powerful, that, that they need resources in Chicago. He loves Chicago. And so he, get, he gives that money. Um, and we, we, you know, we think about Kendrick Lamar giving money to his high school jazz band. Um, even it's kind of a funny example because I was just like just trying to deal with today that like a headline I saw was Justin Bieber performs worship set at Coachella, um, and uh, which is true happened, um, and uh, to the Biebs, um, uh love Justin. Do you love Justin Bieber? Don't love Justin Bieber as much as Olivia Calhoun loves Justin Bieber though. Um, but you know I, I was I thought it was kind of beautiful because like Justin Bieber has said okay I'm a Christian. He wasn't performing at Coachella, but there he was in this small tent, like, singing worship songs. And there's something that's kind of, that's kind of cool, even though it makes you wonder, is he being con- consistent? Um, I, I in, in college, I played in an ACDC cover band, and um, it's actually a big part of my story in becoming a Christian, um, but, which is true. But there's a difference between a cover band and a tribute band. A cover band plays covers of a certain group. A tribute band, like, becomes the group, right? Like, they would dress up. Like, so if we were an ACDC tribute band, we'd have someone that wore, like, the schoolboy outfit, you know, and, and all that. We, so we would go to see these tribute bands, and their music was awful, okay? Like, their music was not good. Our music was awesome. We were great ACDC covers. But we didn't dress up. And so we weren't, like, totally consistent, right, with the persona of ACDC. And uh, what, when the Apostle Paul writes in this letter... And he talks about this life, and he begins to say, this is how you should live out there in the world. What he's saying is, um, this is a life that is consistent and authentic to the thing that you truly hold the most dear if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus. That in a sense, you're not just playing the music, but you're living the life and the persona, and you're living a consistent and authentic life. And he, he really focuses on three things. The first one is he says... If you're going to be a consistent follower of Jesus and live this beautiful life, you have to associate with the lowly. He says you, you are to associate with those that other people in the society and, and in the community do not associate with. He doesn't just mean recognize them, serve them. He says, I want you to be part of their lives. Associate with the forgotten, the rejected, and the generally looked down upon. And the question that I have for you, as, as, as I want you to keep in your mind as we work through this, is who do I distinguish myself from? Mm-hmm. Who do I um, live in a way that I say, those people are there and, and, and I'm here? Because associating with the lowly, when you talk about like, what are real, true, deep, long-term Christian traditions, associating with the lowly is, is, is at the top of the list. And I want you to come with me on a voyage to the past, um, long, long ago to the second century in, in Rome, because the, the Christian church started in the Roman Empire. 
And right from the beginning, people had no idea what to do with Christian people. It was like this random sect that sort of like split off from Judaism. And they didn't know what to do. People, Roman people called Christians atheists, which is funny if you think about it now. Because the Roman uh, Christians didn't believe in like the Roman pantheon of gods. And they worshipped this guy, Jesus, that, was a, that had been a person. They were like, so they don't believe in gods. Like, they're, they're atheists. They said that um, Christians were in, uh, incestual. That they committed incest because they called themselves brothers and sisters, yet they also got married. And so people were like, they're marrying their brothers and sisters. Um, that doesn't sound right to me. Um, they would say that Christians were cannibals, right? Because if you've spent time in a church, you know that they, we do this thing called the Lord's Supper, or we eat this bread, and we say, this is the body of Jesus, and we drink this wine, we say, this is the blood. And they're like, they eat the body and drink the blood um, of this Jesus. No one knew what to do with them. But there was this one emperor, his name was Julian, and he wrote this letter one time, and what he said was, these Christian people, they take care of the poor in a way that shames us. This is what he wrote. He says, it's disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg because the, uh, the Jewish folk took care of their, their own, and the impious Christians, that's the impious, like they don't believe, the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And all people see that our people lack aid from us. What he was saying is, right from the beginning, Christians not only cared for other Christians that were poor, but for just wider Roman people that weren't Christians that needed help. And he said, that's a shame to us. You know, another example is, in in the Roman Empire, children were not considered part of the family until the father accepted them, right? So if the child was born and the father deemed that there was something wrong or undesirable, or if it was a girl often... Um, the, the child would be often cast away to, to die. And, and Christians often would come and they would rescue these children and adopt them and bring them into their own homes and take care of them because Christian people were recognizing what the Bible teaches, that God, the people are created in God's image. Every person is created in God's image. Therefore, they're worthy of life and care. And that's why some of the most consistent and beautiful Christians that I interact with are, are those that both care about Children and the unborn and the poor, right? There's always this, this is what our, our culture does this thing where it's like, you have to be this one, you can, you can only care about one of these two groups. And I see this beautiful life coming together of I want to care for the poor and, and the needy and children and the unborn. Christians are doing that from the very beginning. And the same applied to the sick. Here's the other thing, back in the day, if you had a disease, people often would just abandon you. Because they were afraid. They didn't know how to deal with disease. They didn't know what was going on. And they were afraid that they were going to get sick. And there was, in the middle of the second century, when the church was about 100 years old, there was this plague in the Roman Empire. It probably killed about 5 million people. That's a lot because there was a lot less people in the world than, than now. And Christians were known as somewhat crazy because they would stay and care for their own sick people instead of just leaving them alone to die. And interestingly, through that plague, a lot less Christians died than other groups because people were committed to their health. People would nurse them because they weren't afraid of getting sick, because they weren't afraid of dying. They were being consistent with what they believed. And they didn't stay on the sideline for fear of what might happen to them. In fact, most of the earliest hospitals uh, and institutions that cared for the poor were founded by Christians. So this is, this is, not, um, this is something that, that has always been germane to what it means to be a Christian because the Christian church and the Christian tradition is founded upon a firm belief that God created everybody in his 
image. And that everyone is equal by God before God. And that Christ has destroyed these walls that divide us. And that might not be your experience with the Christian tradition of the Christian church. And um, I want to acknowledge that that is a reality. That's a reality to some degree for everyone here, but for some of us more than others. And that is grievous and tragic. And part of what makes it so tragic and wrong and ugly and yucky that you see churches that, that, that divide and separate themselves from others and don't care for the poor is because it's so inconsistent with our own Lord and Savior, the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Um, associating with the lowly is a consistent life if you know Jesus because Jesus associated with the lowly. Not just the, that Jesus lived with the, with the poor and ate with them and ate with those that were on the margins morally of society, but because in the Lord Jesus we have God himself glorious, away, beautiful, perfect, not lacking anything, coming to our world and living with us and associating, with, not just coming to us, but being with us. Don't you just long, aren't there people in your life that you just long for them to be with you? I, I don't need you to I just want you to be near me and be with me. That is our Lord Jesus associating with us. So what it means to live consistently means that you associate with the lowly. And what that means you have to leave behind is, is comparison. It means you have to leave behind elitism. Anything that might distinguish you from another. Because usually we, we approach the poor or the friendless. Or I said last week, like, are, are, you, are you okay making friends with someone that's annoying? Um, we usually treat those people... Um, from a place of superiority, like they have something to gain from us and I only have something to give to them, nothing to receive. We distinguish ourselves from people based on need, that we feel that we have, we have nothing to need. But do people have a place at your table? Do they have a place at your table at, when you come as an equal and as a learner? Because if you do, then you come like Jesus. And the beautiful news is that Jesus gives us a place at his table. To live with him and to dwell with him. And now, the good news is that you get to do the same. Do you know how, how uh, what slavery it feels like to distinguish yourself from others based on anything? Jesus frees us from that. So he says you got to live, uh, you got to associate with the lowly. But he also says you're going to live peaceably with all. Um, he says uh, in verse 17, Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Paul's saying, look, it's not always possible to, to avoid conflict in your life. Sometimes it just, happen, it just happens. But what he's saying is if you are a follower of Jesus, you should never be the source of strife, intentional source of strife in your community. He says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Um, We often live in such a way that we don't honor ourselves or the ones around us and live honorably before them. And it has a negative impact on the community, right? It causes strife within our communities. Um, Another person's experience of God's love is often tied to how honorably or dishonorably you are living before them. 
Because often we are the closest thing that someone, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're the closest thing that someone's going to get to having a meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus, at least at first. Um, a, a wise friend once told me, he said, you know, Chris, like, basically nobody's going to remember anything you say, which is hard for a preacher. Um, he said, but people will always remember whether you love them. People will always remember whether you cared for them. And that's why Paul says, you know, and I won't go into this because Garrett did a great job preaching a couple weeks ago. He says, you know, when you're in a community, it doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. If someone's rejoicing, rejoice with them. Be there for them on their level and empathize with them. And if someone's weeping, weep with them. Either come up with them or come down with them because you're trying to live honorably before them. And and the question that I want you to be thinking of um, is, who do you have the opportunity to pursue peace with, to sow peace with, to live peaceably with? And who do you have the opportunity to live honorably before? All of us have the opportunity that the people around us to show honor and to live with a sense of honor and dignity before them. But here's what that's going to mean for, for all of us. It means that you're going to actually have to do this thing that the Bible calls repentance, which means that you actually have to stop what you're doing, acknowledge it before God and before that person, and turn away from it before them and let them see that repentance to live honorably before someone. And that is so consistent with the Lord Jesus, because Jesus tells us that he has made peace between us and God. In ourselves, in our flesh, in our thousands of decisions each day to turn away from God, to harm ourselves, to harm our neighbor, we create hostility between us and God. And Jesus says, by that hostility falling on me, it's carried away from you. And you now have peace with God. And to sow hostility into a community would be so wildly inconsistent with what Jesus is doing and says to do. He sends us out as ambassadors of peace. And what you have to leave behind in order to live peaceably with all is disengagement. Um, Not being willing to engage with people, being judgmental. Because, look, this happens every day in my own experience. I know it happens in yours. Um, If you're not close with somebody and you're not engaged with them, they will misread your motives most of the time. And they will feel judged by you most of the time. And when you're not engaged with someone, you will misread their motives and you will judge them most of the time and feel judged by them. So if we're going to live peaceably with others, we have to be engaged with them meaningfully to know what's making you rejoice. What's making you weep? How can I be involved? And don't you long for that again for that involvement in someone's life. And the last thing, you know, it, it was to, to associate with the lowly, live peaceably with all. And the last one is this, and this is the hardest one. Paul says, you need to bless those that curse you. To do good to your enemies. And this is one of the most radical things. If You know, sometimes we're on campus and we're... we're Um, engaging, you know, ways of thinking about the world, ways of thinking about our lives, ways of thinking about society or economics or or government or social care or whatever. And sometimes we hear these, these ideas that we're like, that just sounds beautiful and consistent and I wish it was true, right? This is one of those in, in the Christian faith. When Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. What God's saying here is not only if someone hurts you, should you not retaliate and not get revenge on them. He says, 
you should actually try as best as you can to do good to that person, to bless them. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. He says, seek the good of the person that's slandering you, misrepresenting you, doing harm to you, actively, with your body, soul, mind, time, do good to them. And that feels, if you're, if you're paying attention, that feels super unnatural. If you're thinking about someone right now that has hurt you, um, or is, is even in small ways in your hall, in your class, maybe it's even a professor, a parent, someone that is even in small ways hurting you, you're like, that feels so unnatural. How could I possibly do that? And that's because it is unnatural. It is so unnatural to us to do good to someone that's hurting us, and that's why God calls us to it. And to clarify, that doesn't mean that if someone hurts you, that they should be, you know, you should try to prevent consequences in their life. The scripture says that the, that the um, civil authority, the government and all that, they have the responsibility of doing justice and for maintaining the care and safety and peace of all its people. Um, and that's actually why, as Christians, we must care about how policing is done, how our judicial system works, that all phases of the, our civil life are free from corruption and racism and all forms of discrimination because those are precisely the mechanisms that are supposed to care for the common good. Um, it's there to serve the common good. And those who assault or abuse or destroy, they should be subject to consequences. God is not saying that. He's not saying prevent that person from receiving consequences that are, that are due to them. But what he's saying is as far as it is to you as an individual, seek to do good to them. And that can be hard and confusing, especially for, for those of us that have experienced trauma or abuse, right? Like that's hard. That's a hard word to hear. And I think it's a hard word to hear because it feels like another thing that we're supposed to do. And in some way that like we're responsible for that thing, right? If we don't respond right, then it's sort of all our fault. But listen to what Jesus is saying here. What God is saying is if you show good, if you give your enemy something to eat and drink, if you do good to them and don't curse them, what he's saying is that is a freedom for you. The Lord Jesus said, I came to give them life and have life abundantly, to set you free um, and to live in freedom. What he's saying is you don't have to live your life wishing for vengeance for someone that hurt you. Because that is also a cage for you, it continues to allow the person to inflict trauma upon you. But what he says is you don't have to wish for vengeance, not because vengeance won't come. He says because God is judge. If you look in verse 19, it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In God's ultimate judgment, everything will be put right. Because God is perfectly holy and just. And don't Deep inside in your bones, you long for things not to just be put right according to what we see as justice, but what God who sees everything and is perfect, what he says is justice. Then things would truly be right and there would be this thing the Bible calls shalom, real peace. Um, because if you're trying to be, a, if, you're, if you're a person, you say, I don't believe that we should retaliate. I believe in nonviolence, pacifism. But you don't believe that God is ultimately going to judge, it's a really hard place to be. There was a guy named Miroslav Volf. Well, there was a guy. There is a guy. Um, he's a scholar, but he's, he's from Croatia. 
So he lived through genocide and war. And he basically says, look, if, if you think that you can just like not take revenge on your enemy and God isn't going to judge, that's basically because you live in like the quiet and comfort of suburbia. He says, if, if you brought that thesis to the, to the, to the war zone, where, where fathers and brothers have had their throats slit, he says, and, and where mothers and sisters have been assaulted, um, he said, that will quickly die unless you believe that in the end God is going to put everything to right. What, what place do we have to not seek vengeance and justice for the people that oppress us? But since God in Christ is putting the world to right, then we are able to trust him with that, to give that to him and seek their good and not be defined by our own vengeance. Christians can pursue the good of our abusers precisely because God won't overlook it. In a sense, God is like a kind father that takes that from our hand and says, come with me and let me take care of that. And when Paul says, when you do that, it'll put hot coals on somebody's head. What he's not saying is like, (laughs) it's really going to hurt them when you're good to them. What he's saying in the Bible, hot coals is always God's judgment. He's saying, you're putting God's judgment to them and you're still seeking their good. And that's for your freedom. When I was in college, we had a different kind of meal plan than y'all have. The meal plan here is so stressful because it's like, I've only got $46 left. And there's two weeks left. Or you're like, I have $800 left. And like, I wasted this money. I could have been eating well. Well, um, but when I was in college, uh, I used to go to Landrum Dining Hall at the Georgia Southern University, and uh, I had three meals a day, and I just swiped, and I went in, and everything was at my disposal, you know what I'm saying, and it was good food, too. I would go in there, I could, I could eat whatever I wanted, and I didn't have to worry about the total, right? I didn't have to worry about keeping an account. I didn't have to worry about keeping score. And really what Jesus is saying to to you tonight is if God is true and his justice is true, then you don't have to worry about keeping score. It's not on you to keep score in your life or in the world. Jesus came to have life and for you to have life and to have it abundantly. And that means that you don't have to keep score. Um, And that's authentic to the life that Jesus has called us to because Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. And the people that persecuted the Lord Jesus are in this room. Because any of us who have turned away from God in our sin, which is all of us, the Lord Jesus said, I took that on myself to give you life. What happened with Jesus at the cross is he was taking all of our yuckiness, the things, the quiet things that no one will ever know, and he's placed it upon himself. He was overcome by evil so that you could be overcome by good. And he says, to seek retaliation on your own would be completely inconsistent with that, but here's what you have to leave behind, and this is our last thing. What you have to leave behind is self-righteousness. What it means to follow Jesus at its core is that we recognize that we're not innocent. We're not fully just and righteous. Each, each of us has turned away from God daily in our thoughts and our words and deeds. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt others. Yet God has made a way for us at his own cost. And my question is, who are you punishing? Who has to pay so that you can live? And the good news is, you don't have to live that way. That the, Lord, that the Lord gathers you up to him as your father. And he says, 
I will take care of that because I know how. Trust me and live in freedom. And, and as we close this time in, in Romans 12, I just, my, my last word to you, I've been saying all since spring break that this life is a beautiful and a consistent life. It's a life of authenticity. And I was just talking to someone in the back about how he was like, you need to cuff your pants if you're going to wear with those, with those boots. And I was like, no, I don't mean because I'm 34. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a fine line between, like, looking like you're trying too hard and just enjoying the fact that I bought these really comfortable boots, right? Um, there's a lot of freedom that comes with the fact that I, I really don't care that much whether you guys think I should cuff my pants or not. It's a beautiful thing. Yet you're all terrified of growing up. You know what I'm saying? It's beautiful over here, y'all. It's a free place to be. And, and everyone's like, no, no, no. In some ways, the life that Jesus is calling us to sounds weird or sounds scary. I don't even know where I'm going with this now. But my call to you as we end is that Jesus, the life that he gives us is beautifully consistent and freeing. And he wants freedom and joy for you as you go and follow him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. for these words here in Romans 12, uh, words that are, that are challenging to us, words that tell us to love our neighbor uh, more than we love ourselves, to not retaliate against those who have hurt us, to seek their good, Lord, to associate with people that we just don't want to associate with. And Lord, in each of those ways, we see clearly that you have loved us in that way, that you have given everything for us, Lord Jesus, because you long not just to associate with us, but to be in loving, beautiful relationship with us. And Lord, we long for that, each of us here. And thank you that you've made a way to that. Lord, would you give us the courage to not just do something like just growing up, um, but to trust you with our lives, that by taking one step after another after you, we would find freedom. Lord, meet each of us in our own way to hear that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.